We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 337 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and making his third appearance on the show, but his first in three years, it's fellow New York resident, Isaiah Cambrin. How's it going, Isaiah? It's going all right. Uh, small correction to start. I now live in the Philadelphia area. I've moved. Well, I, for me, I started in Pennsylvania, then came to New York. And which direction are you? I mean, you went the opposite way in this case. Yeah, I'm outside. of. I'm in, uh, I'm in Montgomery County now. So I'm uh, just west of the city. Well, you have lived a number of places, though, in your life that aren't necessarily just in the United States, because that's the, that's the easy transition, if you will, for me in the fact that the first thing I want to talk to you in particular about your ears must have been ringing this morning, because during that Europa League draw, one of the other teams that you happen to support in Eintracht Frankfurt was picked as Barcelona's Europa League quarterfinal matchup. And I mean, what was your feeling when you saw that it was going to be Barca against Eintracht Frankfurt in the quarterfinals? Well, I mean, I think that's fun for me because then I get to think about you know, Frankfurt itself and having lived there. And that's, you know, as a fan of Barcelona, I now have to, you know, think about Frankfurt as a, the opposition, the enemy, if you will. Whereas you know, normally I can enjoy them being in separate competitions and they never really cross paths. And now suddenly kind of a, a weird twist. Here we are, me having to kind of do opposition research on a team that I, you know, follow. So it's kind of cool. Um, I'm looking forward to, to the previews that I'm going to start cranking out. I think, uh, you know, I'll probably write quite a bit about this because that first leg is in Frankfurt. So I'm going to start, you know, rem- reminiscing on that uh, and thinking about how that's going to, you know, affect Barcelona as a team and kind of the way I think about this competition. Uh, I think that's, I think it's cool. I think I'm really excited about it. Uh, definitely going to be rooting for Barca. There's no, no, no part of me that will root for, for Frankfurt at all. Well, I've only seen them maybe two or three times this season. And I feel like this is going to be a good matchup for Frankfurt, even in the case of the teams that under this revived Xavi, if you will, that have given Barcelona trouble, it seems like Frankfurt do play kind of in that style where they're very, very aggressive though, but they're aggressive in a low block or a medium block where they're aggressive in a counterattacking style. They like to close down passing lanes. It's not like they're, they're going to sit and try to block shots. They're actually very proactive 
with their desire to sit back and try to take the ball from you in their in their own third of the field, which is, I mean, if it works for you, it works for you. And for Eintracht Frankfurt, they've had more success, obviously, in the Europa League with that than they have in the Bundesliga. But even then, they're ninth in the Bundesliga table right now. So middle of the table, sure. But you could see that they have the pieces. And some names people might remember is Kostic. He seems to be their, not their talisman, but seems to be their their big player, the guy that makes things work on that counterattack, the guy that you give it to him where he can cut in middle of the field, but he also is going to sit on that wing in a 4-4-2 and counterattack in that way and then try to push it forward, get it forward to Rafael Bore was a name I hadn't thought about in quite a little bit of time, I'll have to say. The old River Plate and Villarreal striker. And then there's a young Danish attacking midfielder in Jesper Lindstrom, who I think is the other name that, at least in the attack, though, you'd consider. Then Frankfurt's got a pretty good back line, too. Uh, Some, we'll say, up-and-coming names, if you will. Uh, There's a French center back that I'm trying to remember is uh, Indica, right? Yeah, Indica. Yeah, and and so I think Frankfurt is going to be a good matchup for Barcelona, but I think at the uh, the way that Barca are playing currently, which we're going to talk about in a second, even that 2-1 victory against Galatasaray showed you that Barca should be even if it's nil-nil or 1-1 in Germany, that Barcelona should be the favorites in a second leg at home, regardless of what the score is in the first leg. Yeah, I mean, I agree to a certain extent with your analysis of, of Frankfurt. I think the, the issue is that they're going to struggle against Barcelona's quality and possession. Yeah. They like to hit on the counter, but I just don't think that Frankfurt has the quality through the, like, in depth to really attack Barcelona consistently for 180 minutes. And I think they're going to have to look at Galatasaray's first leg to see how they're going to need to act. They have, they have to block everything. They can't, you know, hopefully they'll pick something off. You know, that's the, that's gotta be the game plan to try to come in and get something through a quick counter. I mean, they like to, they like to run forward as quickly as possible with a couple of players yeah, and I haven't watched them a ton this year. Uh, the times don't really work. Germany's just a little bit too early in the day for me, so I don't get to watch as much of the of the games as as I'd like. What I have seen, you know, I, you watch a, a a Kamada running through the middle to then play out wide quickly, or you know, further through the center for a quick shot. I just don't think that's going to work as well as they would want against Barcelona's ability to possess and cut off some of those angles. I just don't think that Frankfurt's, you know, all that fast. They're not, they're not a really quick team. They're not a team that plays fast enough to, to take advantage of Barcelona's abilities and just pure talent levels. All the guys you named are solid players, but none of them are in your conversation about, national teams being like oh well this is the danger man that we're talking about this is the guy that we got to watch out for so it's it's a little hard for me to see a lot of options for frankfurt other than to be just be incredibly disciplined and and maybe get a little lucky i i mean in on paper i kind of feel like galatasaray is a tougher test than frankfurt but Mm. at the same time i know that the quality of the Frankfurt players is that they can be that disciplined and they can really turn in a solid defensive performance. Uh, and, and a guy that didn't get mis- mentioned is obviously the, the absolute legend, Timothy Chandler. So, you know, we can't, we can't forget about him as Americans, right? 
Yeah, I, I know there there is some kind of portion of my listener base that is in the U.S. who fondly or, or non-fondly or unfondly, defondly, infondly <laughs> thinks of uh, Timmy Chandler, of course. And yeah, so I, I think I agree with you that there are definitely parallels between Galatasaray and, and Frankfurt in terms of their style, in terms of what they can do against Barcelona. So as you're saying that, I'm thinking about, oh, how would, how would Barcelona begin to game plan or think about how they'll try to attack them? And well, part one of that is going to have to do with, I guess, again, the transition to Galatasaray is the good and the bad. And I'll give you a choice whether or not you want to start with the positives from Galatasaray or the negatives. The negatives, I think, are less about what happened on the field and what is going to be going in the future. But where would you want to start here, positives or negatives? I think the the positives are important to start with. You know, the the thing is that they got it done. And that's a really big deal. Like just the ability to to come back from a goal down away in a European fixture is a big deal. They did that. They kept their heads. They settled down. They played the game that they were sent out to play after, I don't know, what was it? The first 30 minutes were dreadful. They couldn't place a pass correctly. They were in the wrong spots. Several players looked lost. They were overwhelmed by the pressure Galatasaray was putting on them. Then they settled down. We saw vintage Busquets in the second half, whereas in the first half we'd seen him misplace passes in what I would say is a very atypical performance. And we got all the we got all the pieces in place in the second half. I think some of that is the moves that Javi made, including substituting in uh, Dembele, and that that I think was a really smart move. But even even right before halftime, Adama had moved more centrally on some of the attacks, and that had made a difference in how we were holding on to the ball, moving the ball around, and st- taking control of. The, the match and obviously in the in the first half we had Pedri's absolutely beautiful goal to, to to bring us back into that but but within that move there were pieces that had been put together that they weren't putting together in the first 20 to 30 minutes of the match at all they just weren't you know that would never have worked in the first 15 minutes probably wouldn't have worked in the next 15 minutes so it was it was a the positives I think are that the team is really coalescing around the ideas that Xavi is trying to instill. They're really buying into those ideas and they appear to understand those ideas. And that's, I think that's a really big point for me in trying to assess Xavi's role right here and what he's brought to the club. It isn't necessarily that his ideas are that much better, although, although I think they are better. It's not that they're that much better. It's that he's able to communicate them that much better. They're He's able to say, you need to go here. I mean, Luke de Jong is a really good example for me. Under Komen, he was not anywhere. He was just wandering in these like vague patterns of, well, maybe I should be over here now. Oh, no, I got to be over there now. And with Chabi, he knows where to go. He goes left when he's supposed to go left. He goes right when he's supposed to go right. He creates a channel. He fills avoid he does the thing that he's supposed to do and the other players know where he's going to be and he knows where they're going to be and just that little bit of knowledge of what he's supposed to be doing in a given situation I think speaks to the ability of the coaching staff and specifically to Chabi to be able to communicate those concepts so that's the real positive for me is that we're looking at a long-term solution for what has 
become a very big problem in the squad in, in some ways. And, and I, I, I've talked about this on, on previous podcasts, uh, n- not to, you know, bump up your, uh, your opposition here, but uh, that the idea being that I, I think that Chavi is doing something I didn't expect of him. And that is, cre- is, is creating a foundation that we can build on and what he's using are the pieces that were already there. I've said it before that, the squad is not bad. There's not a bad squad available. This is this is a squad with a lot of talent. The question was whether you could get that talent to coalesce in a way that made logical sense on the field. And Chabi has been able to do that. And that's that's gonna that's gonna mean a lot next year from the beginning. So the major positives are that Chabi was there. They actually got the they got it done. And that I think yet another example of Dembele doing a very good job of playing the part he was asked to play. And he's growing into his role in a way that he simply was not in the past. He seems to, again, understand what he's supposed to be doing and when he's supposed to do it. And it's taken some of that kind of questionable decision-making out of his game because he's no longer having to make decisions the decisions are made for him in the approach play in the place he's supposed to be and he knows when he's supposed to be there and why he's supposed to be there we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, 
everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a good explanation as to why we are seeing the best version of Dembele we've ever seen at Barcelona. We haven't seen him. I mean, statistically, yes, he has the most assists he's ever had in a season for the club in all those five years. He's been relatively healthy. It's been obviously the major part of it. But even then, when he has one poor match, which he's had maybe two and a half, three under Xavi, where you'd think that Dembele should have, should have definitely done better. Yet the next match, he seems to be right back to it because you're right. The plan is laid out for him. And more often than not, Dembele is going to be able to enact that plan because he has the skill and talent just naturally to do that. And as well as your positives, I agree. I think that's right, that the big idea here is that Barcelona, and credit to Graham Hunter, he had a great piece on ESPN.com this week about uh, the concept he, he talked about. Not, it's not a concept. It's called competing. And the fact that this team just flat out competes, regardless of the opponent, regardless of the score, they go out and they try to take care of business and even when they're playing poorly, because after that first half, and you mentioned the first 30 minutes in particular, you're right, that Aubameyang's first touch was almost nullifying his importance on the field. And yet when the dust had settled, he scored the winner to advance Barcelona in the Europa League. And the story of the game for him should be that he got the goal he had to get and the moment of brilliance Barcelona needed from him. I mean, not to say that that goal was <laughs> brilliant. It was kind of a broken play. But the fact that it was a broken play in Barca, like they've scored off throw-ins under Xavi, they've scored off corner kicks under Xavi. They just have this sense that the most important thing, as well as, yeah, playing well or playing the Barcelona style, whatever it is, it seems like Xavi is a shield to the Barcelona way that under Xavi, the media, whoever it may be, the talking heads are always going to say that they're trying or attempting to play a certain style. And that kind of appeases whatever the, again, the, the what was that? Those two old pup, uh, Muppets, the ones who would sit in the, the amphitheater or whatever, right? It, it sounds like whenever they're complaining and crying about Barcelona and the style that they have on the field, it seems to me that because Xavi is going to mean that you're playing that way, that you don't actually have to score that way. And there are times when you're not actually going to quote unquote play that way. And as long as you get a result, everyone's still going to be happy at the end of the day. So Obama Yang, yeah, I thought he was really poor, especially the first 30 minutes, not his best game, but he got the goal that mattered and Barcelona got the result that mattered. And same thing with Busquets. You brought that up. I just want to reiterate that, that I, I mean, he had maybe his worst 45 minutes under Xavi of the season. And yet in the second half, Barcelona settled down and the to me, the bright side is when he and De Young, because they've actually had pretty good chemistry over the last, obviously, when Barcelona are clicking, they've had really good chemistry lately. But that first half, they were a little bit too far away from each other, as it were. And the times that De Young would go forward, he wasn't found by teammates. And it seems like the problems and whenever De Young does struggle, all those problems, again, it's spacing with De Young, it's uh, teammates being able to find when he's 
getting into the half space and then where can he help defensively? Where's his rest defense? And when is he choosing to dribble forward with the ball? When is he choosing to run as a third man? And whenever you are questioning those things, as we did in the first half again yesterday, then it also settled down and he turned it around and it all worked out well. And one of the big reasons for that is I saw one or two people say that Pedri had a poor game. But for me, I say the, the man of the match was Pedri. I thought Pedri was not I don't, I'm actually excluding his goal. I thought he was terrific in that match and he was the stabilizing force. And it's crazy because he's 19, but I always have to reiterate that, that he was a stabilizing force to that team yesterday where from the opening whistle to the last whistle, even if he made mistakes, even if he had one or two problems, even if he misplayed a few passes, he was, well, he only played, he only misplayed nine the whole game. He was 61 of 70 for 87%. That's exactly right. But for Pedri, for him to just be this, this, to have the floor that he does, to, to say, oh, even if he's not his best and the team isn't clicking, Pedri's still going to give you this much of a, a thing that can help you come back in a game. And that's why he was my man of the match. Do you have a different idea for that, Isaiah? No, no man of the match is Pedri, and there's not even anybody else close. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just a stabilizing force. He was, he was a creative force, too. And his goal was indicative of everything he brings to the match and to the, the squad is that he understands the space in a way that we haven't had since Iniesta left. And I don't want to compare those two at all because they're very different players, but it's just this understanding of, of space and time that is innate. And he just has it. He has that thing, you know, the it factor, if you will, he has it. And, you know, you look at a guy like Gabi, the differences in there are that Gabi's an extraordinarily hard worker. He's a tenacious, like Rottweiler. And, and you know, you, you look at a guy like Pedri, you just go, that that guy's like 35 and you can see it in his face. He's been here forever. And the fact that he's 19 doesn't make any sense. You know, he's, he's got the knowledge of how to work in these spaces that you only get through repetition. You know, the veterans know how to work that space like that. Not, not a 19 year old. And so watching him play is just such a, such a gift. And I I just, I love watching him play. And absolutely when he's, when he's on his game, it's over. He's just, he's just beyond anything that anybody else can really bring against him. So watching him against Galatasaray was, was, was a, a treat and he definitely man of the matches uh, you know seems beneath him almost <laughs> you know, well, so it's uh it's cool to watch him play and i'm so excited for his future and 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 chavi seems to get him in the way that we kind of watched chavi get iniesta he gets what pedri wants and needs and provides that for him and that's i think kind of the crucial thing about busquets that busquets gets it too and I know that his legs are going, he's, he's aging out. And I, I think that his replacement has to be sooner rather than later, be, just because of the physical aspects of his position. But his intelligence is such that he makes himself hard to replace because he gets the system. He knows how the system needs to be in, you know, where others are going to be. The, the predictive aspect of that is, is incredible. And it's, it's easy to sort of fall into the idea that, oh, we've reached these, these midfielders are very Guardiola-esque in their positioning and movement. And it's easy to sort of forget that they're very different players from the, the 2008, 2009 super teams. But 
yeah, just watching Pedri and Busquets kind of interact and then having a guy like De Jong, who's very different from that into, you know, that quote unquote Barcelona midfield mold, be able to work into those channels and do his forward runs that are that really kind of destabilize the opposition. It's just been really great to kind of watch the evolution of those guys and their their positioning. And it was kind of the thing that under Valverde and Komen and Setien as well, I guess, that it just sort of wasn't fully clicking. Like Valverde had a very solid set, you know, but it was very stagnant in its way. And this is more dynamic. And Pedri fills that dynamism role perfectly. And in a way that, is at 19 kind of irreplaceable. And we talk about the fact that, and I, I just mentioned this a few minutes ago, our squad's pretty good, you know, and we're doing this without Unsu. We're doing this with, with what you could call sort of an elite attacking player sidelined long-term. So if he can incorporate well, imagine how good this squad could be. And that's, I think that's massively due to the way that the, the La Masia has kind of stayed true to its roots over the last few years. And then Xavi's ability to come in and communicate, here's the next level for you guys. Yeah, I want to just add to that, the Pedri thing, that the difference between he and, unfortunately, I think unfortunately for Valverde, that he built a system with the squad that he had. And when I think about Artur Vidal, even Rakitic, and Frankie de Jong, the reasons why they don't ever get compared to Andres Iniesta, and the thing against Galatasaray in particular that I thought was so sparkling about Pedri yesterday was, and why I would compare him to Iniesta again, the quality that I think that they, that emits from Pedri that reminds me of Iniesta is his decision-making to understand when to release the ball into space. And that is really what unsettled Galatasaray yesterday, where he'll find that space, just like Iniesta did, the pocket in between the either it's either in between the interiors for the other team and their pivots or their defensive midfielders, or he'll pop up at other times between the defensive midfield and or well and for Galatasaray they were playing that double pivot or and that back line. And he'll pop up in that space. And then when he turns, and he turns so well obviously, so good technically with the ball then there's either a decision. It's a decision that every player has at that juncture where do you drive into that space or do you choose to immediately release the pass? Do you switch the play or do you try to play a through ball to finally Barcelona does have a runner like Obama Yang, who is your number nine to be able to run in behind as well. So there are four to five different permutations that Pedri could have done on so many different junctures in that game when he would turn and be facing in between those lines. And just like Iniesta, He's making the right decisions. And making the right decisions doesn't make you a Barcelona midfielder. It makes you a very good midfielder. It makes you one of the best players usually on the field if you're able to consistently do the right thing. And his timing is impeccable in when to release the ball, again, when to switch the play. And again, that's decision-making too. But for me, it's just he'll drive until it's time to release. And he knows exactly what space. He knows exactly how fast he should be going to when to release that ball or when he needs to immediately switch the play or when it's time to move horizontally with the ball to potentially open up a little bit of space and half space for Ferran Torres or Bamiyang to run in behind. And it's just Pedri is so smart in that way and his technical ability allows him to do all those things and so often for players like a Dembele like an Ansu even to Gabi to a point that these players at 15 14 15 16 wherever they were in their journeys were already so good technically with the ball they already have so much skill just innate ability 
and trust in their own feet. They don't have to look down at the ball. They just do everything so naturally. And because Pedri's able to do that, his mind has already not only caught up, but his mind is, you're right, his mind is a thing that is 25 to 27 years old. And yes, him and Gabi also physically, it, just, it doesn't make sense to me. It hurts me just thinking about um, watching them uh, crash into people. But I, I'm transitioning here a little bit, Isaiah. I think the final, we'll say, main talking point from Galatasaray is that back line. It's obviously where Dest suffered that injury. He's going to be out for three weeks to a month is the initial reports. It's a hamstring, so you also never know. He could be out for a month or two. But as far as what Barcelona are going to be doing, and you can also transition this Real Madrid preview if you will, but for Eric Garcia, I thought Xavi got that absolutely right to have Eric Garcia start in that match. And teams, the opposition, that being, they understand with the scout that Araujo can't do X, Y, Z yet. He just, he cannot dribble or... Just like I said about Pedri, all those things I praised Pedri for, Araujo was just way far behind there. Uh, yeah, he's a center back, sure, but he doesn't know when to release the ball. He doesn't understand the timing of the space that he can take and then who to deliver that next ball to, right? Do you uh, horizontally go to Busquets? Is that the moment? I mean, ideally, Xavi wants, once Araujo goes into that space, he wants him to switch the field to the opposite wing, but Araujo isn't necessarily confident enough with that ball to do what he's supposed to when he's supposed to do it. And knowing that Galatasaray were, even at home, they were going to dig in, they were going to fight, they were likely going to be in a medium block, and Xavi got it right. So Eric Garcia was the proper start. And yeah, he picked up a yellow because Eric Garcia went too far forward or didn't understand his own timing, picks up the yellow. But I thought Eric Garcia, other than that, he had a goal-saving tackle, was really, really good in that game. Do you start him against Real Madrid? I'm not sure because you need defensively what Araujo brings you. But clearly for Xavi, he has this thing where the opposition knows what he's going to do. And... I guess it's a good problem to have that he has Eric Garcia doing what he does well at such a high level, and then Araujo does what he does well at such a high level. And if Xavi can get it right as to who to pair with PK based on the matchup, then Barcelona's back line looks good to me. And that's why I think it looked good to me yesterday. And if Araujo has to play right back to get him on the field, then that's not too bad either. But then you have Danny Alves as well. And moving forward with Dest out injured, I think Araujo certainly is going to be the answer at right back for a little while. And I trust Eric Garcia next to him enough with the exception of, I, I don't know, even with the exception of with PK and Araujo covering for him, there's, I think there's something of enough there at the back. I have to, I have to wonder sometimes about Eric Garcia. I mean, he's technically very good. But he's six feet tall and plays like he's five seven most of the time, and I, I sometimes forget how tall he is when he's, you know, he's physically dominated by someone, you know, an opposition forward. Well, it's it's actually funny was, you mentioned that. It's funny you mentioned that because that comes to play in the goal scored by Galatasaray because when Ron Araujo is on for set pieces, Araujo gets the one or two option on the opposition and. It's then PK and Busquets, you move down the line, who matches up with who? Eric Garcia has to take the fourth or fifth option. That's why Ferran Torres was the one stuck on Marcao, and it was just no contest. Marcao just headed the ball in the back of the net, and Ferran Torres got it wrong because you don't have Araujo there on the set piece. So, yeah, that's absolutely right, that Eric Garcia can't be yeah, trusted in those positions. I think, that's, I think there's also, every now and then, we've seen Eric Garcia play as the right center back. And he is lost every time he's there. Mm. And he gets he gets burned. He, he doesn't seem to understand that side nearly as well as the left. And I don't know quite why that is, but just naturally in, in, in the Barcelona system that we've seen so far, he's been much, much better on as a left center back. Do you, and, well, do you think that, yeah. well, I have a hypothesis. Do you think that is because the instruction from Xavi is that because the opposition is likely going to give him 
more space to drive into than they are PK, that once he drives into that space, the instruction is clear that they want to have the strong side be the left side with Alba and De Jong or Pedri, whoever is on that left side. And the role of that left center back is to switch play to Adama or Dembele where they have room to run. And that is the explicit instruction. Do you think that, so do you think for the left center back, this is exactly what Xavi wants you to do, whether you're left-footed or right-footed, Lengley being the only left-footed one who plays. But because there's such an explicit, this is what comes next, that he's able to handle that a little bit better, where when he's on the left side, when he's on the right side, it, that that switch to play to Alba isn't necessarily clear because that left side always has more people on it. It's always more of the strong side for Barcelona numerically. And the opposition also has more bodies over there as well. It could be. And I think it's also partially related to recovery speed. Mm. You know, he's he sometimes turns like he's an ocean liner. And it's it becomes one of those things where it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy where you say, well, he can't really turn. And then the opposition keys in on some of that and plays to those those realities and then he sort of goes oh i don't know how to turn and gets caught up in his thoughts and and you know he holds somebody on side or gets a ball dropped over him was it was it elche where he got the ball dropped over top of him and it, it was just caught in no man's land and whether that's because pk was playing the ball on you know didn't put enough pressure on the ball on the other side or not that's a communication issue between the two center backs. They seem to communicate very well when they're, when, when they're left switched left and right. And yet, you know, when Garcia's on the, the right, we have ourselves uh, below a bit of a problem. And I think Araujo is better at that. He understands that position a little bit more. And that's where I think that if you're going to have Araujo, Pique, and Eric Garcia on the field at the same time, you're almost looking at a three-man back line and not a true right center you know not a true right wing back or you know, a, a, you know and in this case it's hard to say because Jordi Alba does kind of just bomb up and down the side and is is sort of lost defensively from time to time but has the recovery speed sometimes to to make up for that when you have Danny Alves it's hard not to start him on the right but you, you're going up against in Real Madrid you're going up against Vinicius right so you have to think about the speed that's happening there and how you want to cover that. You need layers of defense there rather than saying, okay, you're, you got this guy one-on-one, you're going to stop him in his tracks because you can do that. That, you know, just isolate him and you're fine. You can't really do that. So I'm, I'm actually very interested in what Chubby is going to do here. I don't, I don't think I have an answer of what he's going to do. My guess would be that he is going to start Danny Alves and Araujo on the right-hand side. And then across the line, you know, you have your question, PK, I guess, on the left or Eric Garcia. I think it's. And so that's where that's where I can understand an argument for, you know what, we need a three man to five man back line, you know, with with true wing backs that, you know, are kind of almost midfielders most of the time. And especially with Danny Alves has been cutting into the middle so much when he when we have the ball. So. Obviously, that takes one of your midfielders away or one of your forwards. So, what do you do with that? And that was always the kind of that was the question that uh, that Kuman got into, right? Yeah. <laughs> he always wanted to have that, but couldn't quite mix in the fact that he was now no longer playing a four-three-three. So, therefore, he he, he kind of got lost in a shuffle. And that's why I kind of expect a four-three-three out of this, just because there's continuity of thought and, and continuity of of idea. You don't really want to go against a team like Madrid who always play with confidence 
when you when you aren't necessarily confident in your system or you're not sure what system you've you're implementing right now is it a new new trick kind of deal uh, I, I i find it hard to start eric garcia in this in this situation but i find it hard not to start him either well, just I because think, of who we have well i think i and, think the answer actually lies on the other side of the field i think a queen benzema is likely going to play or maybe he won't we don't know, but I think his availability, I think Xavi's going to wait until the final moment to make that decision. If Benzema starts, I don't start Eric Garcia. And if Benzema is healthy to go, or no, switch that, reverse that. <laughs> if, if Benzema is not in that game and Ancelotti has to rely on, I mean, who? Isco, Bale, or Asensio, or it's going to be a 4-4-2. Yeah, I would say Asensio would be the would be your logical replacement. There. Right. So if but... Asensio is the quote-unquote number nine, I do start Eric Garcia in that, in that uh, situation. But if it is Benzema, I don't want... Because Benzema will target Eric Garcia, and I, I just think that we've seen Garcia do well at times, but there are the, the, the times that he's really, really struggled where people kind of slap their heads. Yeah, there are the occasional mistakes, but it's the Lewandowski. It's the times when he's really been put in the, the mixer with the, the the superior, the top level, top five, top seven strikers in the world. That's where we've really... Well, yeah, but give, give me somebody who Lewandowski doesn't make look well, that's true. ridiculous. <laughs> you know, that's true. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to yeah. claim that sort of like, you know, Messi in 2011, like, oh, we'll put this guy up against him. He will... Of course, he's gonna look stupid. Right. Like that's how that works, <laughs> and it's it's one of those things where I sometimes think you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, mm-hmm. just because that's how the that's how the formula works. You have a guy like Benzema who is playing really well, and not only that, but has the the, the knowledge of how to work against the system that you're playing. Okay, it's going to be difficult. So, do you take the risk that that the ball is going to fall kindly to Benzema, which he's going to bury. Or do you take the, the, or you think, okay, but if it doesn't, what I have is a ball playing center back who's going to put the ball where I need it, when I need it going forward. And I think that's where you have to say PK and Araujo played really well together. And PK has got the veteran know-how to put the ball where it needs to be, when it needs to be, but he can also read the play really well and really see it coming in a way that Eric Garcia is not capable of either yet or at all. I, I, that That's, I think for me, a question going forward, but you have to, I, I would say you start a four man back line there almost regardless. And I would say you say PK and Araujo, because if it's Asensio, I'm fine with PK against Asensio. And if it's Benzema, it's gotta be PK. So for me, that's 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 my answer. Is that I would do that four man back line, and yes, it would be Alba, Pique, Araujo, and Danny Alves. And then in in midfield, I would say that I'm. I think I'm probably starting Busi, Pedri, and Gabi, but I could be convinced otherwise of the the Busi, Pedri, De Jong, or Busi, Pedri, and maybe even Nico. But so that that would be open for me most most of the way and then you know up top again you could you could just slot Gabi into kind of the left wing if you wanted to and then you have your you know do you start Alba or I I suppose you do in that case and then you say on the right wing I'm starting Dembele 20 you know 365 days a year at this point like you put him there you start him there he's better there the only reason you wouldn't is if you say look Adama's going to go out here and he's going to play right here and he's going to wear down the opposition defense by running at them constantly and making them get back but he has to do that he has to wear himself down 
for the first 45 to 60 minutes. And then Dembele comes in and has the speed and mm-hmm. kind of creativity to to throw off your your tired defenders. Well, that is where Five... and that is where Barcelona can attack on those wings because for all the issues you might question about Alba or Alves, and of course Des is currently injured. Carvajal has been in and out of the lineup, has not had really a good season at all. Ferland Mendy might not or likely won't play in that game due to an injury in a uh, injury himself. And then obviously Marcelo, like I'd love, I'm so excited to see <laughs> Marcelo the way he's been defending lately against Dembele. Yeah, of course, I, I lo- I'm excited to see that. The thing that worries me, though, is D- uh, David Alaba has been really good this year. Militao has been solid. And then Thibaut Courtois has potentially, you know, even if Barcelona outplay Madrid with all the guys on the field, regardless, I mean, without the goals, and then the two, the two guys in net, Courtois winds up being better than Ter Stegen. That is one of my great fears here, where Courtois being the, as far as save percentage, 78.4% of shots he's faced this season, second only to Bono from Sevilla in the league, and no surprise that those two teams are top two in the division as well. So Courtois has just been so good, and the back line in front of him, and then obviously Casemiro, Tony Cruz, and, and Modric with, with the three in the middle. And then, yeah, just the other stats here, Benzema, leading goal scorer for Madrid with 22 goals, 11 assists. The scary stat for him, though, is that he is their most lethal passer in the final third of the field with 72 passes into the penalty era, which is just, a, it's an astronomical number. It just shows you that Madrid are always up there, always causing trouble. And even on the counterattack, that he's the one who even delivers the final ball or he can finish it himself if somebody finds him. And then Vinny Jr. being his partner this year, 14 goals, nine assists for him. And for Barcelona, I, I, I mentioned Courtois because this is a big difference where these two teams have now faced off twice already this year, where the first one under Kuman, you know, we completely throw that one out. The Supercopa, the 3-2 loss in extra time, you know, it was showing that the team was starting to be ready to compete and showing that they were ready to step up for El Clasico. And because that one is in Saudi Arabia, I also couldn't question that one. It was Xavi was starting to put his fingerprints on the team two months into his tenure then. And yeah, I don't know about that one. And since that time, though, and this is from Sam Marsden of Sampra Positivo, Barca scored 32 goals in their first 21 league games this season. They have scored 20 goals in their last six games via uh, also a 12-game unbeaten streak, it should be mentioned as well. And and for me, the guys that you mentioned, Isaiah, the four key players for Barca for me in this match, to, just to tell you that if Barca win this game, I think that who likely played well was Danny Alves, was Frankie de Jong, was Pedri, and was Ferran Torres. I think if those four players play well, that is a formula for Barcelona to win because that means that Ferran Torres has really given Madrid a problem. And even if he's not the goal scorer, if Aubameyang is the one who puts him the ball back in the net, it was some kind of movement. Ferran Torres did something to create some kind of havoc along that back line. And then, of course, Danny Alves, how is he going to deal with Vinny Jr.? And then in the midfield, yeah, Casemiro, Cruz, and Modric. Well, Modric has, over the last, now it's a five-game win streak for Real Madrid, unfortunately, equaling Pep Guardiola's time, you know, from, what was it? I think it was 2008 to 2010, I think, is when that streak was. But, yeah, this midfield is one that Barcelona has not been able to break through since 2019. And if Pedri and Frankie de Jong are... Well, not even Frankie de Jong, but if Pedri's the best midfielder of the six on the field, Barcelona have a chance, just like they had a chance against Galatasaray, just like they've had a chance against Atletico Madrid and all these other teams we were supposed to be scared of over the last few weeks. So those are my four players, if you will, who I'm going to circle and say, if they play well, then Barcelona can get a a result here. So Isaiah, I I think the last thing that I'll ask you here, you gave me your lineup. So just, yeah, how are you feeling? What are your vibes? And I'm not going to say, give me a score prediction, but how do you think this game is going to be decided? Yeah, it's El Clasico. It's going to be decided by chaos. It's just, you never know. Like it's just 
it's one of those things I don't ever really get a feel for what the matches are going to be like yeah. anymore. You know, I used to be with Guardiola. I was like, well, we're going to, we're going to take our, take our style and we're going to just slap it across their field and just do it. And yeah, that's how I want to feel about this, about that, that Chauvi's just going to say, we're going to go out there and we're going to do it. But you mentioned him and he's the guy and it's Modric for me. Modric is the guy who's going to, going to throw things off. He's so good at stepping up into the spaces that are accidentally created by a failed move. And it's not really like a counter attack per se, but it's just the, you know, the, the kind of, as the waters recede from an attack, he just fills that space just and does it correctly. He makes the right decision. We talked about this with Pedri before he makes the right decision. And, you know, against PSG, I think it was a really, a really good demonstration of what he still has to offer, which is that anytime the ball came to him, the danger was immediate. There wasn't a, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to circulate the ball to, to, to find the space. Nope, it was there and it was done. And that's, that's, the, that's the danger he brings. And that's where I, would, I can see starting a guy like Gabi to kind of shadow him or a guy like Nico to shadow him, depending on how you wanted to approach things, to say, take him out of the, take him out of the play, make someone else beat us. And it, as much as I think he's given to the team in the past, I think Tony Cruz is not having his best year. And a guy like Casemiro is hot and cold on basically on whether a yellow card comes his way at the, at the proper time. And the proper time is always in the first minute, if you ask me, but you know, if, if we or Chabi can make them impose the style and the possession on Madrid and not get, thrown around by the kind of cacophony of the and the pressure of the crowd in the first few minutes because they're going to be going crazy Mm -hmm. as long as as long as the team can kind of survive that i think i think that the ball can go either way i mean the ball bounces the way the ball bounces and i don't know i don't have a feeling about it right now um it's a long-winded answer to say i don't know but it's it could go either way i have i always go into classicos with the feeling that Barcelona should win because that's just my personal belief yeah. in the differences between those two teams. But on a on a very real level, Madrid is a better team right now because of their their results. All you have to do is look at the table and you can say, well, they've obviously done the work. And I don't know. I, I'm just gonna say that I think the team is gonna play really well. Like you said, in Saudi Arabia, they they played, they played, they were a wounded tiger if you will and they still played very well so yeah that was one of the matches that to me suggested that Xavi was really beginning to communicate his ideas to the team mm-hmm. and this is much further on than that like you said it's it's, a, it's an uh, an unbeaten streak and it's I, I think we're going to do well I think we're going to play well and even if we get a draw even if we don't win I think that I think we'll put in a good shift We'll, we'll show that, that the team is progressing. And uh, we'll have to see. I hope we don't get to the point where we sub on Luke de Jong and shoot you know, crosses into yeah. him. We don't have to do that. But if we do, at least he knows where to go. Right. Well, I, I think draw is the key word there. I don't want to disappoint people, but 
Real Madrid, for their season goals, absolutely do not need a result here. Obviously, they never want to lose El Clasico, especially at home, because that can actually derail a season for them. You know, losing to Barcelona at the Santiago Bernabeu, uh, as much as they feel like, you know, they beat PSG, they did the work in the Champions League. Yeah, losing to Barcelona can derail those, their, their season, and all they need is 0-0, 1-1, and a draw is just fine, in theory, for them on paper. But of course, the Clasico always is the most to matter. And yeah, for, for yeah. Barca- and they're a good team. They're a good team, but I don't think they're as good as they've been in the past. Um, I don't even think they're really all that close to being as good as they've been in the past. And uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna break this streak, I think now is I think now is the time. I think you're to right. Go ahead and do yeah. that. This so. is the closest that Bars have been to Madrid in their last five, uh, or you know, of the six now that they're they're gonna have in a row. Hopefully, yeah. it doesn't turn to six. So yeah, I think this could be a draw very well, or Barcelona could you know just take it to Madrid, even if Madrid are quote-unquote, yeah, the better team because they're top of the table in Liga. They're not worrying about Barcelona. Barcelona can't really catch them. It's 15. 15 is too many points clear at the top of the table. And for Barcelona, you know, I'm getting less and less. I keep saying this. I'm getting less and less worried about them finishing top four every every result. And one point would be just fine for Barca. They still have, again, five points behind Sevilla with a game in hand. But the way Barcelona are playing, you kind of are beginning to have faith. I mean, I do. Faith and belief that they're definitely, even if it's against not Sevilla coming back from the international break, even if, it, if it's against all the other teams that are below them in the table, as long as they take care of business against uh, the teams that they should take care of business against for the remainder of this season, Barcelona are going to be in the Champions League next year. Easy. Not even like flirting with fourth, but flirting with second much more than fourth for the remainder of this season. So yeah, El Clasico, it's, it's going to be a fun one. But Isaiah, thanks so much for joining me to break it down and break down Galatasaray and all that stuff. Where can people read you? I mean, I, I mean I've, I've put this before. I think for anyone familiar with you and Kevin Williams, they know where to find you guys. But hey, plug it again. Well, we have BarcelonaFootballBlog.com. That's where you can find us yammering about a lot of stuff. I have a Substack, uh, Barca.substack.com. Sign up for that and get sort of random missives from me about really silly things. And, uh, you know, I'm always on Twitter at uh, FCB Football Blog. So, yeah, come say hi and uh, let's talk about Barca. Yeah, that'll be down in the show notes. Click on his name and follow Isaiah everywhere you can find him. So that'll wrap up another edition of the show. We're on Twitter and Instagram too, at the Barcelona Pod, at Elton D13. For me, close Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast. That's also the same name on Patreon, on YouTube, all the fun stuff. I, you've heard me many, many times before go off on this. You know, for El Clasico, we might have some new listeners, some new people viewing the content. So share it and help out. And again, just enjoy all the different Barcelona media channels that you can find. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.